Hello, everyone. Welcome to Chan Podcast. Here is where you learn about meditation and Chan. So, what is Chan? Chan, spelled as C H A N, is the Chinese school of Mahayana Buddhism and is the originating tradition of Japanese Zen. We encourage you to learn and practice meditation with a group. If you like to, feel free to visit our website, LondonChanMeditation.org. Good morning, fellow practitioners. Nowmina 能够有一个比较稳定，然后比较长时间的。So yesterday, we talked about how to bring the method back home. Because what we're doing here, for the most part, is we're practicing the practice of meditation. 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 We're practicing the uh, the complete practice of Chan is not the only practice. Sitting meditation is the core practice uh, that we have, which allows us to very easily cultivate this concentration and awareness. Because we're just sitting still, we've temporarily put aside all kinds of activities, and it allows us to emphasize and put all of our attention on our method, just sitting, cultivating this stability of mind based on concentration and awareness. And of course, throughout the retreat, we also have activities uh, which are in movement. And again, we continue to use our method amidst these activities. And so when we go home with the sitting practice, we make sure we arrange time for our sitting practice, make sure that we can uh, have a schedule or routine of sitting meditation and to continue to develop and cultivate this quality of a silent yet illuminating mind, a mind that's unmoved, a mind that's very stable, yet at the same time very clear. But in daily life, because we can't, you know, we can't do sitting meditation for uh, too long, because our daily life requires that we have a lot of different activities, and uh, we find that most of our daily life is in a state of activity, in a state of movement. And so at those times, we apply ourselves to those activities. We apply, again, this principle of concentration and awareness to all the activities that we engage in. And we'll find that if we continue with this practice, if we really apply ourselves, we'll find that our awareness becomes more and more acute or sharp. And with a sharper awareness, with this sharper awareness and um, clarity of the situation of our body and mind, you know, with a stable mind that we cultivate through meditation, 
This awareness becomes sharp so that in daily life uh, we're very clear as to the state of our body and mind, very clear as to the, the reactions that are occurring, things that are happening. And because of that, we're able to maintain the stability of our body and mind. And with this acute awareness, we're also more aware of the environment, also aware of the various situations that we encounter, the various people that we interact with, the various things that we have to take care of. And being more aware of these things, with a sharper awareness, we'll see these situations much more clearly. And because we can see the situation much more clearly, we're able to then handle the situation much more appropriately and handle it um, in the best way. So, uh, with this Chan practice in daily life, we bring what we've been working on in retreat back home, both in the practice of stillness, in particular sitting meditation, and then in movement, in all these different situations of our daily life. And again, we'll find that we become very sharp, very aware of our situation, situation around us, which allows us to handle things uh, in an appropriate way. And so this is the basic um, manner in which we bring this practice back home. It's possible that uh, after this Chan retreat, when it's time to go home, for the people who feel that they didn't have such a good retreat, or maybe just slept the whole seven days, it's a sleeping retreat, feel, oh, what a waste, slept through the whole retreat. Or they go home and uh, they think about how they were practicing and realize that uh, I wasn't even able to count my breath. can't even count my breath. Or that they feel that they could count their breath, but they really wanted to be able to follow the breath. They really wanted to be able to let go of the number and follow the breath. And then, of course, uh, you know, still the mind, unify the mind. Of course, they may have been expecting that, well, on this retreat, if I could just get enlightened, then when I go home, everything will be great. So they were expecting enlightenment, expecting to unify their body and mind, expecting to use the method really well, but none of those things happened. And they may feel that you know, this retreat was meaningless, useless, and feel that it was a, a failure. And there may be another kind of practitioner who they had all sorts of experiences. You know, while using the method, they, they had all these different states arise and all these different experiences happen. You know, they saw things, they heard things. Of course, we're always hearing things, but, you know, it means hearing special things, hearing, you know, music, it almost as if hearing music that's coming down from the heavens and praising us, and ah, it's wonderful, beautiful. Or uh, maybe they smelt something. They smelt some wild flower that only grows in the far reaches of the forest and in some faraway land. And, huh? What is that? What is that strange smell? It almost smells like that flower. Hey, but wait a second. That flower doesn't grow in this time of year. Wow, amazing. 
and then feel that yeah, this is really this is this is experience. Must be practicing well. And other things, you know, they see light, feel something special, or just have all sorts of um, reactions of body and mind, and they feel that this was a good retreat. Finally, and they feel good, and they go home, feel that they had a good retreat, and uh, that they've collected these experiences with them. But they may find that when they get home, all of a sudden if something just doesn't look so right with one of their family members, or some little thing happens, all of a sudden, and these emotions explode, and then they start fighting with uh, you know, their family member. And uh, it's like, uh, does that mean it was a good retreat? That after retreat, it's like as soon as you go home, you explode and like let everything fly and, and uh, you know, let all of your emotions explode and, and have these very volatile interactions with people. And uh, you know, people also think, wow, this is the result of going on a Chan retreat? And they may question Chan practice after seeing you come home, actually afraid to see you come home after Chan retreats. And it's a good question to ask, what were you doing on retreat? And what are you practicing? If this is Chan practice, well, then it goes to show that there's something going wrong there. Whereas for the person who maybe felt they weren't practicing so well, and that they didn't experience anything, of course they didn't get enlightened, but they didn't even experience unified mind. They didn't see anything, they didn't hear anything, and they maybe weren't even using the method very well. They found it very difficult to use the method. But actually, when they get home, they would find that, well, first of all, on retreat, although they didn't have any special experiences, they may have realized that, hey, I realized that my breathing was very unnatural. I realized that I don't even know how to breathe, or that my breathing is always you know, unnatural. And it's unnatural because of usually, you know, we're very tense, or we have a lot of emotions churning inside of us. And when our emotions churn, our breathing is usually, you know, very rough and coarse. And, we <laughs> and on retreat, this person may have found that, hey, when I relax, my emotions are more subtle. My breathing is actually natural. My breathing is actually smooth. And so they actually start to develop an awareness of themselves, an awareness of how they're usually quite tense, their emotions are often going and their minds are unsettled, but they realize how to regulate this through regulating the breathing and through awareness of the breathing. And when they go home, they'll also find that um, when they encounter certain situations that usually would get their emotions you know, up, and all of a sudden they encounter the situation and again they feel <laughs> the breathing starts to get heavy again, the emotions start to rise, but at this time, they can catch it. They're aware of it. And all of a sudden, they feel the breathing going like this, and they say, wait a second, something's wrong here. And then they just relax themselves, they pay attention to the breathing, regulate their breathing, and maybe they don't have to count to ten, but just through doing that practice of coming back to the breathing, 
they're able to settle themselves. They're able to let the breathing become natural and they're also able to settle their emotions. And maybe, you know, maybe they're usually quite quick to get angry and they're about to say something to the person they see and it's about to explode and their, their, their family is getting ready for it and they're, they're preparing for the explosion and then all of a sudden the person relaxes, they count their breathing, breathe naturally and everybody else kind of feels a little safer and calms down. So the person themselves recognizes that they're able to adjust themselves and their family or their friends also see that, wow, you know, you're, not, uh, you're not getting so mad anymore. Huh. And they see that Chan practice has some benefits. And you yourself, because you're able to settle yourself down, then you're able to deal with these situations. And actually, when you're more settled and your emotions are not running wild, you can see that actually it's not such a big deal. The situation that had gotten you upset is it's really not so, such a big deal. And in this way, although it wasn't such a special retreat, the person was able to really learn something and bring this practice back home. So, as for what kind of retreat a person can have, which one do you want? Which kind of Chan practice do you want to engage in? Now, we found that some 时候呢，我们去禅修，就像第一种心态的，就是在禅修里面呢，非常的用功，然后呢，尽量的去得到各种不同的境界和体验。可是呢，他的这个身心实际上，So when people come on retreat, again they may be expecting all sorts of things, expecting to be enlightened, expecting to have all these different states of body and mind appear, seeing light, hearing sounds, smelling things, feeling all sorts of, you know, very unique, special sensations. And because of that, they work really hard on retreat. They work so hard, plunge themselves into the method, and maybe they do experience all these things. And then they feel that, oh, I'm really practicing. When in actuality, they may not be really using their method at all, but they're just generating all these different reactions of body and mind. And then, when they get home, it's like all of their practice in the Chan Hall, when they get home, seems to disappear. Again, when they encounter situations, uh, their emotions explode and they're almost just the way they were before they even started practicing. It seems that the practice doesn't work for them, but it only works for them in the Chan Hall because the Chan Hall is the only time where they can you know, generate these experiences. In daily life, all of a sudden they have to deal with people, deal with things, and then all of their vexations appear all of their troublesome emotions explode. And it must be that, I don't know, is this their original face to begin with, I guess, this very explosive and volatile person, or the very vexed person? And because they're not able to really bring the practice into their daily life, 
they may come to retreat all the time. They really just they they do as many retreats as they possibly can, just because in daily life they don't feel a sense of the practice bringing any benefit. They can only get those experiences in the Chan Hall and feel that they're working hard. If this is the case, can we really consider this Chan practice in terms of Chinese Chan? In terms of Buddha Dharma, the real practice of Buddha Dharma, this is not practice. Real practice, real Buddha Dharma, Chinese Chan, is practice amidst daily life. Again, practicing on retreat is important, and we do sitting meditation, a lot of meditation on retreat. We deepen our practice, we familiarize with the methods, we strengthen our practice, but then we bring the practice back home. And again, yes, we do the formal practices. We need to do sitting meditation at home, and we cultivate this um, quality of mind which is concentrated and aware. As we mentioned, this quality of mind can also be described as being silently illuminating where you are very clearly aware of your state. You may have uncomfortable feelings, you may have wandering thoughts, you may have all these different um, conditions arising in your body and mind, as well as the environment. But because you're practicing, because you're doing the sitting, because you're doing the practice while you're moving uh, in active situations, then this quality of mind of being clear yet stable, illuminating, yet silent, begins to really establish itself in yourself. So that in the midst of all these different causes and conditions that you're facing, because really every situation that you face is just such a variety of these different causes and conditions, a variety of elements. And many of these conditions may be the things that you don't want to experience. Maybe you don't want to hear a person say a certain kind of thing. Maybe you don't want a certain situation to happen, but it happens. People say things. These things are out of your control. But because you're practicing, because you're establishing the practice in daily life, you're clearly aware of the situation. It's not that you don't become aware of them. You're very clearly aware of all of these causes and conditions. But at the same time, your mind is unmoved, stable. So with this stable, yet clear mind, you're very clearly aware of the causes and conditions, not emotionally stirred, and because of that, you become in control of yourself being more in control of yourself or having more self-mastery, then you're able to deal with the situation properly. You're able to see the situation clearly. You're very stable, very clear. And so you know just how to deal with the situation. And in dealing with the situation, you do so in a very positive manner. Because your mind and, and, and your body are stable and clear, Naturally, this sense of um, wholesomeness arises in your mind when you have to deal with something. Because in daily life, of course, it requires that we respond. It requires that we act. But in the midst of responding, in the midst of acting, because we have our practice, our actions and our responses are more wholesome. And our whole perspective is more positive. We have a completely positive outlook on things. And this positive outlook 
has joy there, compassion there. So that when we have this um, compassionate attitude and we have to deal with a situation, naturally our actions and our responses will make others feel happy, make others feel more at ease. And actually this is the essence of compassion. Compassion in Chinese is ci-bei. The word ci means to bring joy. And the word bei means to lessen suffering or to remove suffering altogether. So with a very stable and clear mind, clearly seeing the situation, and with a very joyful attitude, a very positive attitude, when we respond, we're helping others to feel joyful, helping others to lessen their own suffering. And we also, we ourselves are joyful, we ourselves feel less suffering. And in this way, um, our practice is really Chan practice. It's the practice of establishing this clarity, calmness, and compassion in our daily interactions. This is what we can refer to as Chinese Chan practice. Otherwise, if we, if we find that in our daily interactions, our emotions, again, are explosive, and whenever we say something, we hurt someone. Whenever we do something, it's hurtful to ourselves, to others. And we ourselves may think that, you know, on our retreat, we got enlightened. But if we go back to daily life, and we still act like that, what kind of enlightenment is that? What kind of experience is that? And what kind of practice is that? So we need to see that our practice needs to be completely integrated into our daily life. And this way, we really are practicing and bringing benefit through compassion to ourselves and to others. So in talking about the benefits of practice, for practitioner who's really practicing, when they bring the practice back home, they find that their body and mind is both settled and clear at the same time. They're clear about their body and mind, they're clear about their surroundings, they're very clear about the different situations they face, and being very clear about these various causes and conditions, and a master of themselves. Actually, naturally, uh, wisdom and compassion just flow forth from their mind. And what is wisdom? Uh, for this person, when they engage in their daily life, if they feel that they have more wisdom, wisdom refers to because they can see the conditions very clearly, then when they have to make judgments or have to make decisions, these decisions are more appropriate or more fitting for that situation and more helpful for the various parties involved. And at the same time, compassion arises. And again, compassion is this consideration for others in hoping that while you're dealing with these situations, you're bringing joy to others. While you have this very optimistic attitude in dealing with things and responding, you're also helping to relieve them of their suffering. And for yourself, it's equally the same. You're happier. You're optimistic, and you're also suffering less, dealing with things better. So this is uh, a result of really bringing the practice into daily life. There's a lot there, just let me reflect.
Also, for those people who, again, if they're just if they're just looking for experiences, looking for um, different uh, phenomenon to happen to their bodies and minds on retreat, and then they just they go back, they go back into daily life, and they may feel that they're great practitioners now. They feel that uh, they're so good at practice, you know, they can experience all these things, they can understand Buddha Dharma. If they need to say something or just, or or talk about Buddhism, it seems they know everything. They can say everything there is to say. And that they feel actually that they're such a good practitioner that their minds are just filled with arrogance now. It's possible that instead of actually bringing the benefits of practice to others, they're actually just more and more arrogant. For a person who's really practicing, naturally, even if this person is not at a, at a place in their practice where everything just naturally flows, you know, the wisdom and compassionate responses just flow from their mind, you know, that's also fine. For someone who's really working on the practice in their daily life as well as retreat, they find that on retreat, again, they may not have such great experiences, they may not have such, you know, interesting things happen, but they're more and more stable each time. They're more and more able to use the method to calm their bodies, to clarify their minds, each retreat. And they find that, well, of course they still get tense, of course their emotions still arise, of course their minds are still scattered, but they have a method, and they're working on this method. And so that every time they detect that their body and mind has become unsettled, then they have this method, and they're gradually able to adjust themselves, gradually able to return to the method, stabilize and clarify their mind. And they find that, well, maybe they're not enlightened. Maybe they're, um, uh, you know, their practice isn't as perfect as they hope it could be. But they realize that their vexations are less and less. They realize that the sense of joy and the sense of ease that they experience is more and more. Sometimes, though, you won't even be able to notice it. Sometimes you don't even experience that you're changing, but actually you are changing. As you're really working on the practice, you're changing, you're improving, you're developing yourself, you're developing your calmness and clarity, and you're uplifting your character, so to speak. By doing this, this whole process is essentially uplifting the character, improving yourself. And so, it may not be noticeable, but it's happening. You're going through the process, and you're improving. And when this happens, you'll find that still, in your daily life, you still have problems, you still have difficulties. Again, your vexations arise. Again, you find yourself caught in your old habits. But you're aware of them. You're clearly aware of these habits. You're clearly aware of these vexations. So again, when they arise, you have a method, and you're more familiar with the method. So you're able to deal with them and resolve these vexations much more quickly than you were able to do so before. And that being the case, you find that in your daily life, you really start to feel much more stable, much more at ease. And happiness comes from that. And this is a kind of wisdom. And also, you feel the sense of, you know, this is so good, these experiences or this quality of life that you now have 
is so different, it's so, so beneficial to you that naturally you want to share with others. You naturally have this, tension, uh, this uh, intention to bring the benefits to others. And how do you do that? Well, just by being your happy self, just by being optimistic, the people who are around you will naturally feel that, you know, when I'm around this person, I feel good. Well, I, I like being with this person. You know, when I'm with this person, I feel so inspired. So you're, you begin to inspire others and bring this joy to others just by um, being yourself, bringing your, your calmness and your clarity into your interactions with others. Naturally, this is a way to share. And this kind of wanting to share, this wanting to benefit others, is a natural result of really, really gaining benefits from the practice in your daily life. And again, on the other hand, if you have all sorts of experiences on retreat and you yourself feel like you're this, this, this master now who has all of this experience and all of this Buddha Dharma knowledge, and then when you encounter people, all that you portray is this kind of arrogance, like, hmm, you know, I'm a Chan practitioner. I don't need to spend time with these people. These people aren't practitioners. They don't know how to practice. <sighs> They're not worth my time. I'm going to go back to retreat. And then they probably spend more time in retreat because they can't stand being with other people, and other people can't stand being with them, so they just go back and retreat and they, they practice and get their experiences. And when they talk to people, People may ask about the practice because maybe they, they profess their prowess in their meditation and it seems like to other people, wow, you know, John practice, it's so lofty, so amazing, so grand that it's, it's, it's too much for the ordinary person. And then when we talk about it, it almost just comes across that way. Oh, John practice is probably not for you. You couldn't do John practice. Just... Don't even try. And this kind of attitude completely discourages people. They feel that, on the one hand, maybe they feel that, wow, you're so special, because you yourself feel you're special. And then they feel that, wow, oh, this practice is, sounds, so, sounds so deep, sounds so mysterious. I probably couldn't practice this stuff. So they don't even try. And they don't even approach John practice. And if this is the case, are you really sharing Buddhism? Are you really sharing Chan? Actually, are you really gaining any benefits? Or are you just gaining arrogance? If this is the case, if um, this arrogant approach not only discourages people, but it can also just scare people. People, you know, when there's a person, if, if you're very arrogant about your own self and your own practice, this kind of arrogance um, can, can almost suppress people, make them feel so pressured or so suppressed by your attitude that they don't want to be near you and they run away. So instead of delivering sentient beings, you're scaring off sentient beings and nobody comes to the practice. If this is the case, this is really not engaging in the practice, you're not gaining benefits from the practice, and you're not sharing it with others. So you really need to take a look at yourself, take a look at your situation, and what is your approach to practice. If you can have the right attitude, or the right concept, that practice is your whole life, and that practice is just about 
reducing your vexations, improving your quality of mind, improving your character, and then helping others to uplift their character, it will be just like the, the saying, or just as the, the, the ethos of Dharma Jam, that Sifu promotes, to uplift the character of humankind. When you do that, when you uplift your own character, uplifting others, we're really building a pure land on earth. And we would feel that everywhere is a pure land. So if we have this concept, then we'll be inclined to, at all times, in all places, apply ourselves to the practice, develop ourselves in the practice, and then share the practice with others. And this is the true meaning of wisdom and compassion. This is the true meaning of Chan practice. So again, when you go to work, you're going to cultivate your Chan practice. When you come to retreat, you're just coming to work. So in this way, you'll see that um, your daily life and your practice are just one totality. Your whole life itself is Chan practice.